I invite you to take your Bible, and for the last time, let's turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. As I mentioned last week, time just flew by as we studied this little epistle. It's hard to believe that summer came and went, and here we are already at the benediction. This tiny pocket-sized letter has been jammed-packed with so much comfort. And it should be no surprise to us today to see Paul's closing statements follow suit. So I'd like to begin our time together by reading the passage itself. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The title of today's message is Peace, the Final Comfort. And I want to focus much of our attention this morning on verse 16. But before we pull this tremendous verse apart, I want to take a moment to recognize what Paul is doing here at the very end of the letter. This benediction is the fourth and final prayer that we see here. All along, Paul has been comforting them and correcting them and praying for them. And that's been the pattern that we've noticed here throughout this whole letter. He will comfort them, he will then correct them, and then he will pray for them. In chapter 1, he comforts them with the return of Christ and the coming judgment. Good news for believers, bad news for unbelievers. He then closes the chapter with verses 11 and 12, saying, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good in every work of faith, by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he comforts them, and then he prays for them, and he does the exact same thing in chapter 2. Someone had come along and confused them into thinking that they had missed the rapture. So Paul comforts them by correcting their eschatology, their understanding of last things. And again, he closes that chapter with a prayer. And then he opens chapter 3, with a simple prayer request before turning it around and praying for them. And then he encourages them to work hard, and he discourages laziness. And that brings us to the very end of chapter 3 and the very end of the letter here, where Paul just can't help himself but pray for this precious church. He told them in chapter 1 that he prays for them constantly, always. At all times, he's always praying for them. And he proves that by closing each section throughout the letter with a prayer. Over and over and over again, he's praying for them. How else could he possibly end this letter but with a prayer? This particular prayer that we have here is what pastors and theologians call a wish prayer because it conveys the apostles' desire or wish for them and what he would like to see God accomplish in their lives. And he wants to see three things happen for them. So he writes down three wishes, three desires that he has. These are Paul's last wishes for the Thessalonians, at least here in Scripture. First of all, he wants them to have peace. He wants them to have peace. That much is obvious from verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way the Lord be with you. He says at all times in every way I want you to have peace that comes from the Lord of peace. That's the first wish in this prayer. Number two, he says I want you to have confidence. Confidence. Verse 17, I Paul write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. You might recall from chapter 2, verse 2, that someone had come along and had been writing letters in Paul's name, and that they were introducing harmful doctrines and hurtful theology, saying that these bad ideas came along with apostolic authority. 
They came from the very top. They came from the apostles who had seen Christ, who had received revelation from Christ directly. And so we have to obey whatever they say, right? Well, unfortunately, those people were lying. The apostles hadn't written those letters, and that included Paul. So imagine how Paul must have felt to have these letters floating around with his name on them. He had to do something about it. And Paul would often dictate his letters. So here, as he wraps things up, he literally grabs the pen from the stenographer's hand and he says, I'm going to write this last part myself. I'm going to, I'm going to make it known that this letter came from me. I want you to be confident. I want you to be sure that this comes from an apostle. This doesn't come from an imposter. I want you to know that you're reading the very words of God, that there is apostolic authority behind these words, and you are obligated to obey them because these are the clear commands of Scripture. And so he continues this desire for confidence here at the very end. And then finally, he wishes that that they would have grace, that they would have grace, verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Grace is that unmerited favor from God. It is that undeserved extension of goodness and love. It is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that saves us and enables us to live and serve him. These are great wishes. I mean, once again, this is a tremendous prayer for them to know peace, for them to know confidence and grace. So I have to ask the question, when is the last time any of us ever prayed this way? Again, Holy Spirit-inspired prayers are the best prayers out there, and they're written to be examples for us. So I had to ask myself this week, when's the last time I prayed for peace, confidence, and grace, especially for other people? Most of us probably need to pray these things for ourselves first, don't we? I mean, think about it. When's the last time you cried out to the Lord and you asked him, my God, you are the Lord of peace. Would you give me peace? Would you give me confidence in your word? Would you give me more of your grace? Once again, Holy Spirit-inspired prayers are the best prayers. And these are excellent requests. These are requests worth copying. That you would know peace, confidence, and grace. But I believe the main point of this morning's message should be the main point of the text. So I'd like to direct our attention to the primary thrust of Paul's desire here, that they would have peace, as we see in verse 16. It practically leaps off the page that in the middle of all this persecution, all this affliction, all this confusion and church discipline, everything that we have seen already here in the letter of 2 Thessalonians, Paul knew that what this treasured church needed the most was peace. They needed peace. And peace is what we need today. Is there anyone in the room? Quick show of hands. Is there anyone here who desires to be more anxious? Nobody? Is there anybody here who just loves stress? I mean, just gets a real thrill out of it. Nobody? Okay, well, of course not. I mean, we all want peace, don't we? I I recently discovered an article this week stating that even our vacations have become stress inducers. The writer says, quote, A number of recent surveys suggest vacation stress might actually be a thing. A poll of 1,000 UK workers conducted by Britain's Institute of Leadership and Management noted that just the prospect of an upcoming vacation made 73% of respondents anxious. One 2015 survey from U.S. medical information site Healthline found that 62% of over 2,000 readers who responded had very or somewhat elevated stress levels during winter holiday seasons. Finances are a major driver of vacation-related stress. A trade union in the Netherlands surveyed its members in 2017 and found that being forced to take a vacation at certain points of the year, such as long summer breaks when children are out of school, stress people out. Accommodation and travel options tend to be higher 
and in higher demand during this time, which raises costs. Then there's the disruptions vacations can cause. In 2013, the Huffington Post surveyed 1,000 adults of U.S. workers and found that having to work longer hours to run up to a vacation and longer hours afterwards to make up for the time stressed out potential vacation takers. I mean, this article just keeps building a case for this phenomenon called vacation stress. And I began feeling stressed out just reading it. I'm not even on vacation, but I'm reading this thing and I'm like, oh, wow, they're, they're absolutely right. I can't afford to ever take a vacation again. I mean, it's, it's, it's terrifying. But the piece concludes by saying, if there is one saving grace of vacations being so few and far between, it's that the effects of this type of stress are only short-lived. Isn't that cheery? But try telling that to parents with a car full of kids, end quote. So even our vacations... Our opportunities to escape the daily grind, rest for a while, and hopefully discover peace are not enough to give us peace. So how do we get it? What do we do? How does real peace come to us? What does it even look like? I want to give you five truths as we begin to tear verse 16 apart. Five comforting truths about peace that will strengthen your heart and lift your soul as only the word of God can do. So let's take a closer look at this truly remarkable verse, verse 16. The first thing we see is the cause of peace. The cause of peace. I love how Paul introduces this. He says, Now may the Lord of peace himself, emphasis on the pronoun himself, right out of the gate, he says that God is a God of peace himself. He is the cause of peace. He is the originator of peace. He is the source of peace. Why? Because he is the Lord of peace. Now the question arises, which member of the Trinity are we talking about here? Is he talking about God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit? And we could easily answer that question with a resounding yes. Because all three members of the Trinity work together to establish peace. We see that all throughout the scriptures. According to chapter 1, verse 2, here in 2 Thessalonians, God the Father provides peace. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Likewise, according to Galatians 5, the Holy Spirit provides peace. Peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Romans fourteen seventeen says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And the same can certainly be said of the Son. Ephesians two fourteen declares, For he himself is our peace. And Colossians 1, 20, an amazing verse, tells us that he has made peace by the blood of his cross. All three members of the Godhead work together to establish peace, provide peace, and supply peace. But here in verse 16, the Lord refers to Christ. He refers to Christ himself. And we know that because he is referred to as our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 6. And the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 12. And again in verse 18, our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9, 6 refers to him as the Prince of Peace. In John 14, he's the giver of peace. Make no mistake, our Lord Jesus Christ himself, he is the Lord of peace. This means that he is never anxious, he is never worried, he is never nervous, concerned, restless, fearful, frightened, apprehensive, impatient, scared, uneasy, or afraid. You will never find a story in the Bible, ever, As much as you look through the pages of Scripture, you will never find a story in the Bible where Jesus displays any of these traits. Never. You will be hard-pressed to find a verse that says, And Jesus panicked. Or, 
And Jesus nervously said to them, I hope so. You're not going to find that verse in your Bible. I don't care what translation you're looking at this morning. It doesn't exist. It's right up there. This is a a divine attribute that is right up there with God's holiness, his faithfulness, and his love. Peace is just who God is. Gideon got this, even in the Old Testament. Judges 6.24 says, Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. He is the Lord of peace. And he, the Lord, is peace. So where else can the supremely powerful, overwhelmingly divine, transcendent, heavenly superior peace come from? But from the Lord of peace himself. He is the very cause of peace. And this is a running theme all throughout the New Testament. Just to briefly illustrate this, Romans 15.33 says, May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Romans 16.20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 1 Corinthians 14.33, Our God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Are you seeing a picture here? Peace comes from God, because peace is of God, and God is a God of peace. 2 Corinthians 13.11, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Philippians 4.9, a very popular verse. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And even the writer of Hebrews, in chapter 13, verse 20, he says, now may the God of peace. Friends, we could go on. We could go on over and over and over again throughout the Bible and especially throughout the New Testament. God is referred to as the God of peace because he is sovereign over everything. He is the Lord of peace. Nothing surprises him because he is all-powerful. Nothing scares him because he is self-sufficient. Nothing threatens him. He is the cause of peace. And that is a comforting truth, is it not? That our God is the cause of peace. He is the God of peace. That's number one. Number two, we see the charity of peace. The charity of peace. He says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Peace is a gift. And it comes from the Lord himself. It is his gift to give. He is the one who delivers it. He is the one who gives us this gift. And I love that. God God doesn't send his angel of peace. He doesn't send his minister of peace. He sends himself. And he brings with himself perfect peace. This is a tremendous gift. And once again, I'm afraid we might easily overlook this endowment because it is frequently mentioned throughout the New Testament. But often we just read over these things because they're so familiar to us. Our eyes just sort of naturally fall over the words on the page and filter them out. And I hope that doesn't happen with us this morning as we look at these things. Because in Romans 15, 13, Paul prayed, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. This is something that God does. Again, this is his gift to us. Ephesians six twenty three says, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This peace is a gift that comes from the Father and from Christ. Now this gift of God's charity, this peace, manifests itself in two ways. In two ways. There are two types of peace that God gives. The first is 
what I'll call positional peace. Positional peace. This peace is spoken of directly in Romans 5.1, where Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is positional peace. This acts as a sort of ceasefire agreement between you and God. Before you came to saving faith in Christ Jesus, you were God's enemy, not his friend. A few verses later in Romans 5.10, that makes it perfectly clear. He says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now we are reconciled, or now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So while we were enemies, Christ reconciled us to the Father. He established peace so that by believing and trusting in him alone for salvation, we might be saved. That is the first type of peace, this positional peace, this reconciliation peace that changes our standing before a holy God. The second peace is a supernatural peace. It is a spiritual peace. It is a resolute calm that is deeply grounded in an unshakable confidence that God is, in fact, in control. And you can't have this supernatural peace if you don't first have the positional peace with God. You can't have the second peace if you don't have the first. Isaiah 44, 22 makes that perfectly clear. He says, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And in case you missed that the first time, again, in Isaiah 57, 21, he says, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. I mean, how plain can you get? How obvious can you be? For the wicked, there is no peace, none. Sure, the unbeliever might experience temporary moments of serenity and tranquility, but there is no peace, no real, lasting, supernatural peace for those who prefer their sin more than Christ. Because, friends, again, this peace is a gift, and it comes from the Lord of peace. We don't earn it, we don't fight for it, we don't perform for it, we receive it, because the Lord of peace gives it to us. This supernatural peace is described all throughout the Bible. Philippians 4, 7 refers to it as the peace of God which surpasses all understanding that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Not too long ago, we saw in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, he says, For beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. Beloved, this is the one gift that you don't want to miss out on. When the Lord of peace himself gives the gift of peace, you don't want to be the one standing there with his arms crossed. You want to embrace it. You want to hold on to it. You want to accept this gift. You want to live with this gift of peace. Truth number three. We have looked at the cause of peace, the charity of peace. Next we see the certainty of peace. The certainty of peace. He says at all times. He doesn't say occasionally. He doesn't say maybe. Every once in a while, when I feel like it. He says at all times. When is this peace available? At all times. And the biblical writers of the New Testament make it very clear. They want you to have this peace. This peace is available. Take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1. I want to take you on a short trip this morning and show you something truly remarkable. 1 Corinthians 1. These verses will not show up on the screen behind me as we go through them. Because I want you to follow along and see this for yourself in your own Bible. We're going to take a little trip through New Testament introductions, and you tell me if a pattern emerges, okay? Starting in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 3. Grace to you and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's good. How about 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, next chapter, or next book. Galatians, chapter 1, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul is just plagiarizing himself here. Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians, chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians, chapter 1. Verse 2, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We'll just keep going. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. What about 2 Thessalonians, the book that we're studying now, chapter 1, verse 2, grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How about 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2? To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. How about 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. How about Titus? Titus chapter 1, verse 4. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. How about Philemon? Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, all 13 of Paul's epistles begin with this desire that the Christian reader, that you would have peace. And he's not the only one. First Peter, Second Peter, Second John, Third John, Jude, and Revelation all begin with this same desire, that you would have peace. Of the 27 New Testament books, Gospels and Acts included, 19 of them begin with this peace to you. Peace to you. It's like the Bible's trying to tell us something. But that's looking at only the introductions. If you look at the ends of so many of these books as well, at the very end of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 16, Paul writes, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. At the end of Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 23, Peace be to the brothers and the love of faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, verse 9. We have already looked at this verse today, but let's look at it again. Paul writes, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Again, at the end of 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 5, 14. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So much of the New Testament's teaching is found between these two bookends of peace. The letters begin with peace and they end with peace. Why? Because we need peace. 
We need peace from the God of peace, who is always willing to give us peace, because through him, peace is always available. It is always available. You say, that's great, Hans, but I'm a believer and I don't have peace all the time. And believe me, I can relate to that. Just this week, one of my teeth was giving me trouble and I kept thinking, Lord, are you sure you want me to preach on peace this Sunday? I mean, surely, Lord, there must be an imprecatory psalm out there about dentists or something that I could preach instead and my whole heart could be a part of and and I could throw myself into. So why don't we experience peace at all times? That's the question. Well, with all the scripture that we have already looked at, the answer should be obvious. The problem is not with the gift, and it's not with the giver. The problem is with us. When do we lose our peace? How about when we lose our focus on Christ, and we start focusing on the world? Like Peter, walking on the waves, when we divert our eyes from Christ to the frightening storms of life, what happens? We sink. Or how about when we love our sin more than Christ? Is that a peaceful situation? Does that promote and encourage the peace of God in our lives? Isaiah tells us that our sin can and does cause a separation between us and the God that we love. God does not withdraw himself from us, but we withdraw ourselves from him. But here's the good news. His peace is always available at all times. It is solid, steadfast, and certain. He will give you his peace. If you but take your eyes off of this wasting world and look to Jesus, he will give you his peace if you but confess your sin, repent of it, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. It doesn't matter how long it's been. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. You want peace? You want to be certain that peace is always available at all times? Then guess what? You need to come back to the God of the Bible. You need to direct your attention back to him off of your circumstance, and onto your Savior. And then you need to follow through. You need to live this life of faith, one foot in front of the other, one step at a time, living a life of obedience, confessing your sin, repenting of your sin, denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following him. Because that peace is always available, all the time. There is a certainty of peace. That's number three. Number four, the capacity of peace. The capacity of peace. He says, at all times, in every way. In every way. In other words, God is so completely in charge, he is in complete control of everything. In every way, the Lord Jesus Christ is king of your situation. Ephesians 1 verse 11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. All things. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things means all things, folks. All things is everything. And our Savior is working in all of it according to the counsel of his will for our good and his glory. All things at all times in every way means that nothing operates outside of his command. The incomparable Charles Spurgeon One of my favorites, and you all know that, once observed, he can give peace by the bitter as well as by the sweet, peace by the storm as well as by the calm, peace by loss as well as by gain, peace by death as well as by life. Friends, the capacity of peace is infinitely broad because the Lord of peace, the master of peace, the giver of peace is infinitely great. Look, you can never have too much of God. And you can never have too much of his peace. 
Only a big God can give big peace. Only the best God can give the best peace. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that nothing is too big for God. He is a God who controls all things, knows all things, and commands all things. And because of that, he is the only one who could ever possibly be at peace, both in and of himself. And yet he has offered that peace as an extension, as a gift to us at all times, in every way. And in case you haven't noticed, this peace, it goes beyond a mere feeling of calm. This peace rises higher than the fleeting emotion of tranquility. This peace of God that is offered to you comes with power behind it. Divine energy fuels this peace. It is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The same power that conquered death and promises you a resurrection from the dead. There is literally nothing too oppressive for this peace. There is nothing too strong, nothing too powerful, nothing that is too dark or angry or hurtful that could ever possibly put a damper on this peace. Trust me, whatever you face, God can handle it. And even though it may not always feel like it, even if it doesn't feel like it now, God is handling it with perfect peace that is always available to you in every way. Well, lastly, I want, to see, I want you to see the closeness of peace. The closeness of peace. He finishes the verse with this phrase, the Lord be with you all. Notice he says, you all. This is a blanket way of saying that this gift of peace is available to every believer. It doesn't matter who you are. There are no second-class Christians. The economy of the kingdom doesn't consist of the haves and have-nots. This peace has been freely opened up and access has been given to every disciple of Jesus Christ. If you are one of his disciples, if you are one of his followers this morning, then guess what? You have open access to this peace. This peace belongs to you. And the hope here is for every believer to have the Lord be with them. Now, the Lord is already with every believer. In fact, the Lord is everywhere, right? That's one of the most elementary doctrines of the faith, that God is omnipresent, right? He's everywhere at the same time. But Paul is not referring to the Lord's perfection of omnipresence here, but rather the special presence that the Lord brings of himself when we are in right fellowship with him and with each other. Is God with every believer? Well, yeah, of course he is. Does God commune with every believer the same way, to the same degree, in the same manner? Of course not. Of course not. Paul is simply stating a wishful fact, that the Lord would be with you all in a deep, undeniable, and personal way. And again, there is, there is good news that, accompli- that, that accompanies this truth. Simply that the Lord is near. His peace is not only available at all times in every way, but it is also close. It is here, folks. It is so close you could reach out and taste it. As James 4, 8 affirms, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Or Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Our Prince of Peace is not far off. He's near. And he's here, and he himself is ready to give this gift, this gift of peace. Well, what a verse. Seriously. 2 Thessalonians 3.16. What a tremendous verse. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you. That you would know the cause of peace, the charity of peace, the certainty of peace, the capacity of peace, and the closeness of peace. 
you know what God wants this morning? Do you know what he wants? He wants to be your God of peace. Christ wants to be the Lord of peace to you. He wants to give you a supernatural peace that can only be found in a trusting and resting relationship with him. And if you do not have that relationship with this Lord of peace today at all, I would encourage you, get to know him. Get to know him immediately. Yesterday we had a funeral here at the church. And we celebrated the grace of God in Brian Morris's life. It was a good service, but a sobering reminder that our time here, folks, is brief. Our time is not forever. Not here, not like this. And again, we praise God for that on one hand, don't we? You never know just how long you've got. If you have not yet received that first type of peace, that positional peace with God, then you need to settle that account with him now. You need to come to Jesus, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, repent of your sin, turn away from yourself and come to the Savior. You need to do that today. Because Jesus declared, and you've heard me say this before if you've heard me preach more than once, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's a promise. Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, I will never turn them away. I will never cast them out. So come to Jesus and he will establish peace between you and God. Now for the rest of us, the question remains, how can we as the recipients of God's grace, how can we own this peace? The question becomes, if this is a gift that Christ himself gives at all times in every way, as he is with us and in us and through us, then why do I not have this peace right now? Why am I letting this tooth bother me so much? It's a good question. And is there anything that we can do to get it? I mentioned earlier that we lose our peace when we lose our focus on Christ. And that we lose our peace when we love our sin more than Christ. So how can a lost peace be restored? That's the question. How do you restore lost peace? Well, originally here for the sake of concluding this message, I came up with seven things. Okay, Seven things that a person can do. All you have to do is trust, repent, obey, submit, walk, love, and pray. Easy enough, right? Easy enough. But then I thought, no, I've already broken one verse out into five points. You don't don't need to be subjected to another seven here at the end. So instead, I'm just going to reduce it all down and give you two. Okay? Two things to remember here in concluding our time together. If you want this peace restored, here are two things that, as a Christian, you can do about it. Okay? It's very simple. You can follow Christ and you can focus on Christ. Okay? Focus on Christ and follow Christ. Those are the two things that you can do. Focus on Christ, follow Christ. Focusing on Christ means studying his word. It means trusting in the cross. It means beholding his beauty and believing his promises. That's focusing on Christ. It's not focusing on your navel. It's not focusing on even the the latest and greatest Christian book. Okay? Focus on Christ. Focus on him. Get in his word. Go to Bible studies. Shameless plug. Go to church. Sit under the preaching and teaching of God's word. Get involved in the body of Christ by constantly focusing on Christ. That's the first thing you can do. You want peace? Focus on Christ. Stop focusing on your situation. Stop focusing on your circumstance and all of the other terrible things that are going on in this fallen world. Focus on the answer. Focus on the solution. Focus on Christ. That's the first thing you can do. And then following Christ means obeying his word. 
It means fighting the flesh. It means walking in the spirit and praying for this peace. Okay? It's not enough to just look and gaze upon the beauty of Christ and say, that is enough for me. God has called you out of darkness to walk in the light, to be children of the light, to be salt in this bland and tasteless world. God has called us to be and to do. And that means more than just constantly looking back at the cross and looking at what he did for us positionally and refusing to obey. Okay? We need to focus on Christ, but we also need to follow him. After all, isn't that what Christ called us to do? Isn't that what he told his followers to do? That if anyone were to follow him, that they had to deny themselves, pick up their cross daily and follow him in order to be his disciples? What does that mean? That means that if you aren't doing that, if you aren't denying yourself, you're not picking up your cross, you're not following him, then guess what? You are not one of his disciples. So we have to focus on Christ. We have to follow Christ. If you do these two things in abundance, focus on and follow Christ, I promise you, the peace of Christ will fill your heart to overflowing. And you will know what it means to have peace. I guarantee it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you for this peace. We thank you for being the God of peace, for being the Lord of peace, and for giving us this peace in yourself. Thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for sending your son to live a perfect life, to obediently follow your commands even unto death where it pleased you to crush him and pour out the full weight of our iniquity and the full weight of your wrath against our sin upon him so that he could be our perfect substitute, so he could then conquer death and raise from the grave and then ascend on high to sit at your right hand and pray the rest of us into the kingdom. Lord, you are a genius and you are so good and you are so faithful and so strong and so wise and you have been so kind to us and then on top of it all to not leave us to ourselves but to offer us and to give us this peace i pray that every person here would know this peace that we would know the peace first of all positionally that there would be no enemies against god in here today that we would all know you that we would all be one of your flock, that would be one of your people, that we would be a part of the church of Christ. Lord, I pray that each and every person here would be a positional friend, that your peace that you established through the cross would be applied to each person in this room. And then I pray beyond that, that for each of us, as we get bogged down by the worries and the cares of life, as terrible, terrible things happen, as loved ones pass away, as loved ones suffer, as we suffer, when we look at the Thessalonians and all that they suffered, Lord, all of the intense persecutions and afflictions and the false teachers and the need for church discipline and all of the different trials and problems and and things that they faced and just how much you loved them and how you extended your perfect peace to them and how all throughout the New Testament you want us to have this peace. You put it at the very beginning of your letters You put it at the very end of your letters. You want it to be the first thing that we see and the last thing we take with us as we discover your truth and as we study your word. I pray that we would know this peace, that we would own this peace, that we would have this peace, that this supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding would flood our hearts and flood our minds, that it would control our emotions and wills, 
that we would walk in this peace, this attribute of yours, this perfection of Christ himself, that as we have him, as we live in him and breathe in him, and as we walk in, in his ways, and as he lives and breathes and works through us, as we are in Christ and he is in us, I pray that we would know this peace, that we would own this peace, that we would have it, Lord. And I pray the same prayer that Paul prayed for the Thessalonians for each person here at this church. Lord, that the Lord of peace may himself give us peace at all times in every way and that the Lord would be with us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your peace, for flooding the scriptures with it because you know that this is what we need so desperately. Lord, you are so good. You are so kind, and you have been so gracious to us. I pray that we would live in light of these truths, that we would not forget them, that we would hold on to them. And even when the annoyances come or or the truly crushing and devastating realities of life, that you would give us this peace, and that we would in turn be used as agents of yours to give it to others. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. And I pray that as we continue throughout the day as we celebrate the baptisms this afternoon and enjoy fellowship around the table and potluck. I just pray that we would enjoy your peace in everything that we say and do and that you would be glorified and honored and that we would benefit from this tremendous gift that you have given us. In your name, amen.